This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hi there, everyone, and thanks for dropping by the Weather Lounge, your go-to podcast about the weather. And joining me, as always, from our headquarters here at Weatherworks is my very knowledgeable co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. I finally like that introdu- introduction. I'm Brad. keeping them short and sweet now. You know, we've been on the air for a while now. Everyone knows who we are. I like the knowledgeable part. <laughs> Harkening back to my yeah, I mean Penn State career or not career, but days. Yeah, <laughs> I'll come up with some other ones as we get you know out of winter here. Right, hey, but uh, Brad, today we're gonna be kind of like mechanics on a car. Yeah, why not? All right. Um, so we're gonna go under the hood of a winter storm. I like that. Yeah, so, um, you know, in other words, we're going to go through the nuts and bolts of how the atmosphere can produce one, two, hey, maybe even three feet of snow. Hey, it happened uh, It happened last February in some parts of the Northeast. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll discuss that, you know, a good old-fashioned snowstorm is like baking a cake. You know, it's like a recipe, if you will. I you thought know? we were mechanics. Well, now we're cooks and We are chefs. cooks. We can go under the hood and we're going to cook. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Because really, to get a to get your typical snowstorm, you know, you need all the ingredients to come together for a tasty treat. How about that? Okay. A lot of folks like snow out there. The I I, do too. The snow's the icing on the cake. Right? Oh, I like oh, that. Jeez, these dad jokes are really yeah, getting bad. I know. I know. Well, anyway, so where do we start, Brad? Uh, I think um, we talk about the setup for a typical snowstorm. What? are the ingredients that you're talking about that you need to bake this snowstorm cake? Well, I guess, you know, it's it's very, everyone knows. I mean, you need cold air for one. You know, it's, it's just like a thunderstorm in the summertime. This is a winter storm in the wintertime. And, you know, you need the cold air. Obviously, you need moisture. You need the right wind direction. A lot of folks, you know, think that, oh, well, you've got cold air and, you know, the moisture, you can you get that snow. Yeah, maybe you get snow for an hour or two, but if that wind is not correct, at least here in the Northeast. If it's onshore coming off the Atlantic, that snow is not going to last very long. Like you just said it, the Atlantic. We got a giant ocean to our east. Uh, So that can really throw monkey wrenches into the storm. It it helps and it hurts because, you know, you need the moisture. And a lot of times that's where the... Depends how you feel, though. Some some people aren't all (laughs) snow lovers out there, Brad. I I mean, I know you may be, but uh, some may just want the rain and say the heck with the snow. By March, I'm done with snow, basically. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it to end. All right. So we got the cold air, the moisture, the correct wind direction. And also, if you want to get a real big storm, what we also need is what's called a blocking high. And we've talked about this before in previous podcasts. Uh, Really, you need a negative North Atlantic oscillation. You need a high like over Greenland. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a stop sign in the atmosphere or really a slow moving vehicle in the atmosphere because it kind of backs up everything to the west of it. So if you want a good, you know, the, 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 the most historic snowstorms here in the Northeast, the big nor'easters, you know, the two, three footers usually happen when you have something that's blocking the storm from escaping quickly. So that's why you get maybe 24 to 36, even 48 hours worth of snow and it piles up. And that's exactly actually what happened last uh, February here in the Northeast when what we had like a three day snowstorm. Oh my goodness. Uh, that storm was, Unbelievable. I don't think I've seen it no, snow. I've never for that long, at least where I live in eastern Pennsylvania. Um, but I, I you know, that's exactly what happened there. We had a we had a blocking high over Greenland. 
you know, it bottles up that jet stream, yep. it bottles up those storms. So basically, once it developed, it really didn't have a place, to, place go. to go. Right. Um, it was stuck there until that high would move a little bit and allow that storm to leave. So that's why, you know, everybody who's a weather weenie out there and loves snow is looking for that negative NAO to show up because yep. they know that um ooh, this could be good negative uh, nao in the middle of winter is uh almost a guarantee for snow you get that sometimes in november yeah. meh you know you're kind of marginal still with temperature march also you know you sometimes get a negative nao yeah. also but you're you're starting to lose that uh you know daytime snowfall chance and things like that but yeah you get that january february negative nao look out right and what's also helpful is a ridge out in the western part True. of the united states too um we like to see that happen we like to call it a positive pna yep. um that we like to see where it develops a ridge in the jet stream or a jet stream that's heading further north into canada and then diving down in through the plain states so basically if you have a ridge in the west and you have a blocking high over greenland uh in the east you're just going to have a big giant trough um, that's going to be rather sharp uh, over the and it, eastern. And it keeps the cold air flowing into the northeast from right. the uh, you know Canada. And really, what they call is uh, what's it called transcontinental. I'm trying to think of the word now. When the airflow actually comes all the way from Siberia, basically it goes over the North Pole, sure. through Canada, and really straight into the yeah, northeast. it just drops right in. Right. And 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 that's something that that western ridge can help right. out with and the bridging high between you know, the two. Yeah, there's even something called a an EPO or an East Pacific oscillation that does also put a ridge into parts of Western Canada and really shoves the cold air down. Sometimes the EPO and the NAO, I know we're talking like crazy <laughs> alphabet acronyms here, but it's all teleconnections. Kids. Yeah. So basically <laughs> that high in uh, Alaska and the high over Greenland sometimes can be strong enough where they kind of merge and they kind of converge on the pole. And then there's no place for the cold to go other than down into the, you know, into the United States there, or uh, conversely, it can go into uh, you know, Europe and, and those areas. Right. So, yeah, that's the ingredients of these big storms, that's for sure. And, uh, and really it produces a couple of different types of snowstorms, uh, at least here in the Northeast. You know, we, we have what we call names for each type of storm, where they develop. Is, yes. You know, and, and the most typical, Mike, is a Miller A versus a Miller B. Yeah, that's the most typical thing you may hear in the weather enthusiast community about, you know, uh, these two different types of snowstorms. And a lot of times they get a lot of fanfare because they have the potential to produce a lot of snow for the Northeast. Um, so let's start quickly with a Miller A, since, you know, A comes for B. <laughs> uh, makes sense to start with a Miller A. So these are the type of snowstorms that develop down almost in the Gulf of Mexico. Right. And they ride along the Gulf of Mexico, gather a ton of moisture, and then ride up the eastern seaboard. Strengthening as they do so. Yes, strengthening and um, sucking in a lot of cold air on the western portion of that storm, too. Um, so they have a ton of moisture. Um, which is always great. It's just a matter of the exact track of these systems on where you're going to get your heaviest snow. And that, that heaviest snow does fall on the western side of that track um, as 
the storm pushes up to the north. Right, so. the storm kind of rides right there along the Appalachians. Yeah. And it's usually not going to go to the west of, uh, you know, into Ohio Valley and things like that. It's more of a coastal system. And this is one of those storms that can almost guarantee snow from Boston down through Washington, D.C., sometimes even further south, sometimes down, all the way down to Atlanta. I mean, Superstorm uh, 93 was yes. probably the biggest and well-known Miller A storm. It's the best example of a Miller A because basically your polar jet merged with the subtropical jet. Um, everything cut everything off. Everything came together. The polar vortex <laughs> dropped in behind the storm in March. Um, it was a very volatile system. I know there was a derecho that went across Florida. Into Florida, right. Um, as that low pressure was developing. And it was even strong down in Florida, from what I remember. Um, and then it lowered to, I think, about 960 millibars yeah, it as ridiculous. it went um, uh, over Philadelphia, which I think was the lowest pressure up until Sandy made its way through yeah. um, you know, that, that area. Now, what if we had? What if we had a Superstorm '93 like today, like these, this winter? Mm-hmm. I mean, weather works. We, that's something that we would know about several days in advance, you know. And we'd be sending stuff. I mean, could you imagine a Superstorm '93, right. like to go through here? Well, I mean, last year, of I mean, course, we had a tough storm in the February, but yeah. I think I think the the writing was on the wall with this one four or five days before it happened. It was well in advance. Yeah. It was very well forecasted by a lot of the computer uh, simulations that we have and the models. So, man, if we knew this storm was coming, we'd probably know a week in advance. Yeah, honestly, we'd, we'd be sending point. out statements and alerts like today, yes. a couple days ahead. Yeah, we'd probably do like a special thing yeah. that's like kind of a paragraph with a map yep. and just saying like, hey, you know, this looks like it could be a big deal. And then, you know, we'll get, you know, more refined as we get closer and closer to the storm. Um, but yeah, that that's a classic. And, um, you know, I kind of I kind of do and don't want to see another storm like that because I was really just getting into college. I think I was a freshman then. Right, but, right. I mean, and the, and the computer models were so much different back then. I would love to see that type of storm, I think. I'm saying that <laughs> you now. think? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> But maybe. I would kind of like to see that again, uh, just to see how the dynamics and everything come together and the models, how they would handle yeah. something like that. Just, I mean, it's, it's if, if you're, if you're an up-and-coming meteorologist and you love snow, that's the storm you got to look at and just study because it had everything. Right. It had tornadoes. It had blizzards. It had, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I know I got upset. It started sleeting at my house. Um, because when, it was so strong. It yeah. pulled up. It was just. Yeah. The it was, dynamics were incredible. I remember it was cold, too, when it started sleeting. Mm-hmm. Which and, and at the time, 93, you know, I don't know how old. Well, 12 or something like that it might have been. Um, so at that time, I didn't know. I didn't know why something like that would even happen, you know, but, you know, once you get into those warm conveyor belts and cold conveyor belts and you get those warm noses, you right. know, changing, you know, your snow over to a, a mix, you know, then you start learning that once you get into Yeah, it. I think I remember it like sleeting at 22 degrees and yeah. it's just unheard of. I mean, how can it sleet when it's that cold? I mean, it's just an amazing storm, though, and... uh you know, I think that kind of segues into the Miller B storm. Um, now, this is a situation where 
you likely have a storm system coming across, I'd say, the Ohio River Valley or, or it comes through the Great Plains first and then hits the Ohio River and Valley. And not all that strong usually. Yeah. I mean, it could even be a clipper system like we'll talk about right. next. Um, but yeah. And then once it gets to the coast, everything kind of comes together. Um, the coastal low forms. There's kind of jumps. Yeah. Explosive um, development. Um of the low bombogenesis yes that's the buzzword uh <laughs> usually in the media is the bombogenesis which is uh i believe is 24 millibars and 24 hours right. of a drop uh is the minimum requirement for that um and um a lot of times that does happen there's there's definitely some storms that have undergone that type of transformation and uh, you have down here Snowmageddon in February 2020, which I'm sure lots of people in the Mid-Atlantic remember, um, because I think uh, Maryland probably got the most snow they've seen in a long time uh, yeah, during they got that their, winter. They got two seasons worth of snow. From that yeah, it was something storm. like, uh, I think they had like something like 60 to 80 inches yes. of snow. Um, and I, I remember saying, watching that winter go down here at Weatherworks, and I was saying, well, that might be all the snow they get for the next 10 years. Possibly. <laughs> because, you know, it's tough to snow down there in the mid-Atlantic. Yeah. Um, but uh, they certainly got it back in um, Snowmageddon. Yeah, that was back in like 2010, I want to say. Yeah, it was February 2010. I mean, that's a, that's a great example of a Miller B system. Right. And that certainly was a system in the mid-Atlantic that was unbelievable uh, for them. That was the year, I think, 09-10, where... Uh, the Mid-Atlantic just got crushed yeah. the, the by storm, storm after storm. Yep. They had two big-time storms back-to-back. I think there was... Um, I don't know which one was exactly Snowmageddon, but I think there was one on like the 5th and 6th, and then there was one on the 9th and 10th right or something. That, yeah. it, it was only a few days later where they got hit again. Yeah, I was down south at that time, but I remember yeah. watching it unfold. But one that really stands out in my memory that was a Miller B was, uh, they called it Nemo. Uh, in uh, 2013, um, there was a blizzard in New England. Oh, yes. Um, in 2013, um, that dropped uh, three feet of snow in parts of Connecticut. Um, you know, there were even some amounts higher than that, but um, there wasn't a whole lot of support for those. And uh, I know that because I was doing the certified snowfall totals <laughs> uh, during, <laughs> for the state of Connecticut during that time. I think I might have and, asked you uh, that when we weren't doing a podcast. Like, what was the most amount of snow we ever given to uh, yeah. a CST location? I think I think I remember you telling me it was 2016 uh, with the... Nah, I, I'm not sure exactly when it was. Yeah. Um, but I know I gave out some 36 inch amounts yeah, um, during that storm. And that actually produced a band of snow, believe it or not, that dropped six inches an hour. Wow. Um, over some par- parts of uh, Northeast Connecticut, which was, I mean, that's like lake effect snow rate. Uh, coming out of a storm system. Now you, 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 you're down in the Lehigh Valley. Wasn't there a storm a couple of years ago? I remember. I mean, it was just. Mm-hmm. I remember we were all in the in our you know Weatherworks group me chatting back and forth, and I thought you said there were like four to five inches you got in one hour. Yeah, uh, that was 2016. 2016. Uh, January 2016. I remember it well because that's when my son was born. Uh, right. And I was at home yes. at the time, <clears throat> and yes, I had two hours of four inch an hour right, rate. Um, and you know, obviously we ended up with somewhere near 30 inches, right. uh, during that system. So, um, that was a, I don't know if I remember seeing it snow that hard, 
Um, that was probably the hardest I've seen it snow because even in the storm last year in the Northeast in uh, February, there were some breaks in the snow. It was a yeah, long, long, it was event. a long drawn out storm. Right. Yes, there were some really big time rates in there, maybe two or three inches an hour. But right. I don't know if we quite hit that type of intensity. And uh, surprisingly enough, there wasn't any thunderstorm snow in that band that I remember hmm. in 2016 or. The 2021 here in February storm. We've talked about it. It's been elusive to me, Brad. I cannot. <laughs> That's what happens with old age, Mike? I know. I cannot find thunder snow, at least where my location is. And I've had some pretty crazy deformed bands of heavy snow over my house. And you just get that storm to pivot just right over your area. And but it'll, I, it'll, I don't get it. Yeah. You know, Jim Cantori gets to see it every year. <laughs> Wherever he goes, he gets thunder snow. You know, and, and I can't seem to find one. I mean, the closest thing, like I've said before in a podcast, maybe in the precip type podcast, was uh, when I had thunder sleep. Thunder sleep. And that was here in uh, here at Weatherworks. We were forecasting that, and a, and a very strong cold front was coming through. It was almost like thunderstorms were developing along the front. Yes, I kind of um, remember that. They, there was a couple of warnings that were... Yeah, there was thunderstorms. So the stuff that was falling from the sky, we had a hard time actually identifying it whether was it was or hail sleet, right. or whether it was sleet. But then like, because there was like big chunks mixed in with the sleet. It was so strange. It was slale. Slale? Yeah. <laughs> or uh, what would the other way of that be? I don't know. What H- would it be? Heat? Hail? Hail? <laughs> yeah. I, I, hail, hail, I anyway. don't know. I, I like the schlale. No, slale? Slale? Anyway, you know what? Our, <laughs> our own meteorologist, Mike Priante, he did a great blog on this. Uh, Miller A versus Miller B. You know, you can go check it out at our website, weatherworksinc.com. Um, just mm-hmm. look under our blog section or, or just uh, go in the news and you type in search and, um, you know, type in Miller A, Miller B, and you'll find it. So really, he really wrote this well. And, uh, he's yeah, of course, a fine part of our podcast here. Of course. Sitting right next to us. Yeah. He's over in the production area. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, those are the big storms, Brad, that cause these, you know, blizzards that drop feet of snow. The memorable ones. Uh, um, in the Northeast and the Mid Atlantic. Um, so those are the real big ones. But, there's something called Alberta Clipper. Um, that's a system that affects us you a couple know, times a couple year. A couple times yeah. a year. And these originate, like its name says, in the province of Alberta in uh, Canada. Moose Jaw? That's a Scotch one. So, yeah, anyway, uh, Alberta Clippers are basically fast moving storms that come out of Canada. They usually are very moisture start. Um, so that means that. You're getting some high ratio snow, too, because it's coming from a dry area that doesn't have a lot of moisture in a cold area. Arctic air, usually, yeah. Yeah, so these systems are certainly colder, proofs, fluffy snow. Usually, you, know, you don't get too much more than, you know, a coating to an inch. I'd say maximum on a, just a clipper alone, maybe around three inches. Right, usually a one to three um, inch snowfall. Something like that. Um, and, and your in your moisture amounts, like you said, you're lacking, and that yeah. you may only pick up, you know, at the most a tenth of an inch of liquid yeah. precipitation. But with the ratios, Mike, we're talking about twenty to thirty to one, that can easily, you know, turn into two or three inches just right. on that little bit of uh, QPF. And obviously, like these are the ki- type of snows where you know 
some of our clients may even do this where they go out and get a backpack leaf blower yeah. and they just blow off the sidewalk because it's so light and Easy fluffy. To remove. Yeah. I mean, it's if it's cold enough, it hardly even wets the sidewalk itself just, yeah. um, because it's so dry, uh, such a dry snow. But yeah, I mean, Alberta Clipper, you know, we talk about some other versions of Alberta Clipper. I, I think there's a uh, Saskatchewan Screamer, Screamer yeah. and uh, my favorite, Manitoba Mauler. Nice. Um, yeah, I think that was coined by one of our former employees here or by somebody else. I'm not quite sure. Um, but that was one of his favorites to say, the Manitoba Mauler. I think that was, was a wrestler hard. in a Bugs Bunny uh, cartoon one. Oh, no, it was Crusher. Well, I remember Crusher. I thought there was another Crusher one. was the boxing match yeah. with uh, Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> People listening to Bugs Bunny. Who, what's Bugs yeah, Bunny? Why? They probably don't. Uh, there's a lot out there who yeah, know there is. That, uh, Bugs Bunny, I'm sure. But yeah, he fought the Crusher. And uh, we always kind of make fun of that in the uh, winter season when a big snowstorm is coming. And yeah. uh, we kind of talk like... You know, in the office, ah, crush yeah, up. yeah. You say that, crush up. Well, that was how the announcer, uh, yeah, that's how the introduced crusher, yeah, the boxing announcer, yeah, that, yeah. and in this <laughs> the, corner, and the and the champion of the world, yeah. the crusher, yeah. But anyway, that's my old timey voice, so we'll 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 go away well, from now, that. Now these clippers, though, Mike, too. I mean, they kind of pull what we would say what a Miller B does. Also, once in a while, it, it, and this really needs blocking though up ahead of it. Um, usually these clippers will slide right off the coast. You know, it'll clear out quicker. You know, it'll yep. be sunny usually by that afternoon. It'll be cold because the Arctic air is kind of coming in. Uh, but, you know, you get that quick one, two, maybe three inches of snow and mm -hmm. it's gone. The storm's off the coast and uh, you're clearing out. But once in a great while, you'll have what we were talking about earlier, get some of that blocking ahead. And the clipper will try to climb the coast just a little bit. And not usually here in the northeast itself. It's more towards New England. Um, but some of these clippers can what we call bomb out every once in a while because they get a chance to slow down and, uh, you know, gain some moisture and turn into a really a nor'easter kind of. Uh, right. But again, it's only going to impact maybe from Connecticut, Rhode Island and points north because that's, it doesn't have enough time to really affect anyone else. Um, so once in a while, though, you'll get these New England snows that'll uh, become mm -hmm. or come from an Alberta clipper. And, uh, you know, they'll produce a quick foot of snow somewhere, uh, you know, again, from Maine down towards like maybe Boston. Yeah. And that's kind of, if I'm remembering right, the year where um, New England had 100 plus inch oh, snowfall yeah. for the year. That that year had a bunch of the Miller B uh, clipper type yep. systems that hit the coast. They hit that, you know, and then just bear clinic zone, we like to call it, where there's a big gradient of temperatures there at the coast and they just blow up and uh it seemed like every other snowstorm that i was forecasting started <laughs> out at a, a you know several days out at okay we're just going to start with eight to 12 inches and then we'll go. go from there yeah um, because there was always there was always ratios in there that were going didn't quite know and then they ended up being higher um, that you had to kind of decipher as the storm got closer. Yeah, that was the year there was a quite a gradient between like New York City and Boston uh, mm -hmm. on snow amounts that year because of what happened in New England. It seemed like like Mike said almost every single storm. And I think that was the year they had snow in Boston they had the, the pile until July. Yeah, it finally yeah. melted. I had clients telling me that um uh, up in that area that just the snow that was normally pushed off to the side of the road, just like on a normal stretch of road, was as high as his truck was. Oh, 
you know, it, not even talking about like in the intersection where the corners get piled up higher and that sort of stuff. We're just talking about the regular piles on the side of the road. Um, so that that was a that was a tough one for our clients because it snowed so much that you know they were they were running out of places to go with the snow, um, and that's how that you know, they started transporting all this snow to different sites. And that's how that giant pile that you talked about not long ago, um, was developed some t- somewhere near Boston. Yeah, and that pretty gross too, there was trash oh, in there man. and stuff. And the, by the time it finally melted, it like, was like uh, shopping carts yeah. and, uh, you know, who knows Small all villages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some polar bears and penguins yeah. walking out of there. Um, uh, but there's a couple other ways that you can get snow too here in the Northeast. Yeah, there are. I mean, a lot of times we might get a situation. At least a storm. Yeah, where we'll have a cold front come through and then it stalls out, um, you know, south of the area. And that might hang out there. So we're still in the cold air, but you get a ripple of low pressure that develops along that front, you know, rides from uh, southwest to northeast along it and overspreads more moisture. Um, And, you know, you get your... uh, your kind of garden variety decent storms of, you know, two to four, three to six right. type. And inch a lot of those times, uh, those those are the way that the coastal areas actually get their best snows. Um, you know, of course, they get a, a northeaster. Sometimes it changes over, though, in the really strong storms. But when you get these fronts that are just far enough offshore, uh, you know, maybe like this is more of like for the Jersey Shore and down towards like eastern Maryland and Long Island. Uh, these areas actually do well in these kind of situations when you get that stalled front and a couple of areas, a little pressure. Yeah, right no. up along it. Yeah, I mean, they certainly can. I mean, they do get the big storms, too. I remember right. the Boxing Day they blizzard. Do. Um, where I, I'm pretty sure that hit the coast pretty hard. Um, I know Monmouth County seems like <laughs> the spot in New Jersey, no um, even New though Jersey. it's yeah, it's right near the uh, the ocean. They always seem to get it, either whether it, it's from some ocean effect snow or um, what it may be. They they certainly seem to get it down there. Um, and there's also some stuff you know that is very rare that happens. You, you remember the uh, Norlund trough oh. that seems to get going every now and then? A couple years ago, Atlantic City, South yeah. Jersey. Yeah, they had a good amount of snow, and it was only in a small swath of southern New Jersey. Um, and that typically happens when you have upper-level energy coming across uh, you know, the Some northeast. kind of convergence zone, yeah. And then there's a leftover convergence zone or trough hanging back. Um you know, from a ocean low or something like that, that's well out to sea. And it almost kind of feeds moisture into that trough, kind of like a lake effect situation, but it's actually, you know, coming off the ocean, a bit of a different process, of course, but. So let's talk about what drives these systems now, especially as we get one of those Miller A or Miller B storms. Now, you know, you need, you need the moisture and what we call, uh, a warm and cold conveyor belt. It's almost essential. I mean, it is essential to get big snowstorms. And you know, I'll start with the warm conveyor belt. And basically, it's 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 a it's a it's a area. It's at the level of the atmosphere. Basically, it's higher up. It transports warm and very moist air northward from the lower latitude. So think of it this way: there's a lot of moisture and a lot of warm air at a certain level of the atmosphere, above the ground though, obviously, because you have the cold air already in place. But what happens is, is it rides north and it gains latitude and then it sees, it runs into the cold air and and warm air is actually a lot more buoyant or uh, less dense than cold air. So what happens is that it's forced upward. 
And then that kind of creates the stratiform precipitation. And that's where you get the snow because what happens is the lower level is already cold enough for snow. So you get that deep moisture kind of riding into the storm and it just pushes itself as far up as it can go in the atmosphere until it finally condenses. And then of course it comes down as snow and that's how you get your big snows and you get those different conveyor belts of moisture. So that's your warm conveyor belt. This is more like in a mature cyclone. Right. Um, you know, even before that, they have something, well, something that we like to call a bear clinic leaf, mm-hmm. um, which is basically the fledgling beginnings of the storm. Um, and that usually develops, you know, based on a temperature gradient that we a lot of times see off the eastern seaboard of the United States. Um, and it uses that gradient to get developed, to strengthen more. And then your conveyor belts start developing, like Brad was talking about, your warm conveyor belt, trucking in all that moisture off the ocean, rising over the colder air. And then you have your cold conveyor belt there too. Um, And, you know, this is, you know, kind of responsible for all of that cold air that gets entrained into the system. It makes that nice comma head appearance uh, on the backside. cyclone. Yeah, yeah, and if you ever look at a satellite image when we're having a big nor'easter or something like that, you'll see that comma head-like um, uh, display. Um, and that's where some of your heaviest snows are going to fall, too, because you're getting your best ratios of snow as it runs into that colder air. Um, and, yeah, I mean, those backsides of those systems can certainly produce. It's like one big machine. You got the warm air, right. you got the cold. You need the warm air, you need the cold, you need them both. Yeah. And that's the way you get these. And it's the interaction of the two that, you know, creates the precipitation and creates, uh, you know, the heavy amounts of snow. And like Mike said, you get in that comma head, you know, you can get uh, your two, three, four inch per hour rates uh, right. on that uh, northwest side of the system. And, you know, that's where you get your big snows. And like Mike was just saying, the baroclinic zone, think of it this way. A cold cord, uh, a, a cold core so, storm system, as we get in the wintertime, it needs to feed off of something. And it's feeding off of that differential in temperature just off the coast because you have the cold, you know, it may, it's really cold right along the coastline and uh, on the surface and in, in uh, you know on the land. And then you actually start to get a little bit warmer and you get into the Gulf Stream. Now, granted, it's not 65, 70 degrees anymore, but still it's the differential. Now, take a warm core system like we get in the wintertime or in the summertime, you know, uh, a hurricane feeds off of the warm water. So same way this one works, a cold core system feeds off the differential and the temperature right there in that baroclinic zone. So the, the stronger the gradient and temperature, then the better, I guess, you know, snowstorm you can actually get out of it. Right. And what that storm is going to do, it's going to try to, you know, equalize that cold and warm um, uh, temperatures uh, around that baroclinic zone. So it's going to try to f- shove all that warm air up north and and all that cold air further south to try to equalize that temperature. And and that's what these, that's what storms are really doing across the planet. They're trying to equalize temperature um, across, you know, the planet. If the planet was all one temperature, you know, it wouldn't have weather. (laughs) Yeah. It'd be tough to get a lot of big systems to develop. That's for sure. Well, that's even Um, in the hurricane season in the summertime. I mean, that's what these uh, hurricanes are trying to do as well. Like you said, Mike, these are going to eventually move north. They will gain latitude somewhere along the way, unless it gets pinned down in the Gulf or something, mm -hmm. but it's trying to push that warm air northward 
towards the poles and keep everything in check. And then at the same time, you got polar air coming down south and, you know, mm-hmm. you got it all, uh, you know, it's just trying to, like you said, always equalize itself. And the result, though, in between is weather. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes some crazy weather, too. Um, so... Man, those are some of the biggest storms I can think of uh, as from the wintertime perspective. Oh, yeah. Um, But I think, you know, maybe one more uh, time here. We should talk a little bit about uh, precipitation types Um, because these big storms in the winter always have some rain-snow line issues, as I'm sure plenty of people along the I-95 corridor know uh, (laughs) here in the Northeast. They're always looking for where is that rain-snow line going to set up. And, um, you know... That's that's one of the hardest calls in these snowstorms as a meteorologist. It's, it's amazing, too, though, that you got the main thoroughfare, the I-95 corridor. And how many times is that the rain snow line? So useful. It's amazing. From Boston to Hartford yeah. all the way down to D.C., it's like that is the rain snow line. Right. And we just kind of try to see which way it's going to waver with each storm. Yeah, it's so useful. I think they might have <laughs> just put that there. Um, so. They're just like, hey, the rain snow line's always here, guys. So let's just put a big interstate on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, that would be really helpful for these meteorologists. Maybe they were really thinking of us when they did that. Now, if that was Um, that easy, though, that's the problem, though, is a lot of times (laughs) that that rain snow line will push back towards Pennsylvania or maybe it'll go all the way down off off the coast. And then, you know, when does that happen? How does that happen? And how much snow falls before this occurs or, you know, when this does occur, when does that rain change over to snow? And, And that's what makes forecasting here in the Northeast such a challenge. Well, so a lot of times it's... When we're looking at these storms developing on the coast, we're talking about coastal storms in the Northeast. You know, there's something called the benchmark point yes. um, that we're looking for, um, that 4070 benchmark, and that's latitude. And uh, latitude, longitude, longitude yeah. yeah. Um, longitude, lat- I might have goofed up it's the located, order of those, but it's either way. southeast of New York City. Yes. Um, and we're in looking the for these storms to either be at that benchmark, east of that benchmark, west of that benchmark, because that really can tell whether or not you're going to see, you know, snow all the way to the coast or you're going to get mixing to occur. So if that benchmark, which like Brad said, is pretty much, you know, south of Long Island a little bit, if you want to try to envision that um, in your head, if the storm is west of that benchmark, those coastal areas all the way to 95 are probably going to see some mixture happening over the rain. rain, Now, if it's along that benchmark, you're probably going to get snow coming all the way down to the coast, especially if it might be a little bit east of that benchmark because you're on the colder side of the storm system. You're not getting that warm air uh, all the way entrained into the coast. So that's kind of an important point uh, when we're looking at these coastal storms on the eastern seaboard. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it's like you said, it's every single year. That's what we fight. It's uh, you know, and, and yeah. that's and granted, that's what our clients want to know, and that's what our job is to do is let everyone know. You know, this is where the rain and snow lines most likely going to be, and this is how much snow is going to occur before yeah. there's a changeover, or vice versa. You know, it could be rain for a good portion of the storm, but as the storm exits, colder air comes in. Mm-hmm. Maybe we get a quick couple inches on the on the on back, the back side, side of the storm, and and that's I think that's even worse because then you're going through a wet ground that's going to turn icy, and then accumulating snow. Yeah, you get your freeze up problems yep. going on there, and uh, you know you thought you were out of the woods, but then those temperatures crash, and you got a big issue. And you see that um, a lot up in New England. You see that north right. wind turn, and that cold air comes straight down into Boston, and. I mean, you know, when I used to forecast up that way, I can't tell you how many times, you know, 
I, I've had clients call me and say, I'm watching the parking lot freeze before my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing uh, how that can happen up there, how that cold air from up north at where it's usually all snow up right. in New Hampshire, just, you know, that wind turns north, north. as that storm's exiting. Funnels down. And all that cold air funnels down through Boston, even into parts of Rhode, Rhode Island and, uh, you know... Um, you know, southern Massachusetts there, it can, it can even freeze up. It's in that up. Connecticut River Valley, and we know how how hard it is to scour that cold air out of there. So for everybody out there who does get a bit annoyed like I used to when I was a kid, when we got mixing happening within <laughs> the storm, you have all heavy snow happening, you're all happy, right? Uh, if you're a snow goose, and then uh, it's, you start hearing those little pings of sleet, you know it's all over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're going, oh man. Um, so here's what happens. All right. We'll, we'll go over this once again. Um, so the when, Oreo. no, uh, we're not going to talk about an Oreo this time. Right. We'll just go straight through it here. Okay. So when it's snowing and it's all snow, we have temperatures at or below 32 from the cloud all the way down to the ground. When we have sleet happening, we get this little nose of warm air that's above our heads. You know, you won't see it at the surface. You'll still be 25 degrees at the surface, but above, it's just a little above freezing as you go up. So that snowflake hits that warm tongue, it melts to a raindrop, it hits below freezing air once again and freezes that raindrop into a little ball of ice. And that's where you get those, you know, little BBs almost looks like of ice just coating everything in the parking lot. Yeah, some people like to call it that too, Um, but... Yeah, it just coats everything up. Even if your parking lots are salted and wet, this sleet, if it's hard enough, it's going to cover it up because those little balls of ice do not melt as easy <laughs> as a snowflake. Right. Um, so, and then once you get more, more and more uh, warm, warm air, air. aloft, um, a thicker layer and only a very thin layer of cold air at the surface, now you have a situation where the snow falls from the cloud, it melts to the drop, and then it doesn't have enough time to refreeze into that pellet of ice. So you just have basically rain falling on the ground. And I know we get this a lot of times during the winter. You know, a lot of our clients may call in and they may say, hey, Mike, it's just raining here. Yeah. What's what's happening? You know, why is it raining? But I'm starting to get some ice. I was like, well, your temperatures, <laughs> yeah, your temperatures are still in the upper 20s. Um, so what is falling is rain, but everything at the surface is below freezing. Your parking lot uh, surface is below freezing, your sidewalks, your power lines, your, your trees, um, your rails, your cars, everything's below freezing. So that rain is just going to freeze on contact as it hits the ground, creating this glaze of ice, which is probably one of the worst yeah. things for driving um, because it's this clear ice, or some people call it glare ice. Um, it where looks wet, but it's... It just looks yeah. wet, right. But it's just a sheet of ice. And then, you you know, these are the, you know, the funny TikTok videos I see where people are coming out of their house and they're slipping on ice and yeah. and <laughs> throwing their coffee up in the air trying to get their mail. There's that or something one that, that everyone's probably seen. You know, he comes out to a, go to yeah. his car and he just goes right down into the road. Yeah, and we shouldn't <laughs> laugh at that. That's I know. you know you don't want our guy to get hurt or I anything know. like that. But uh, you know there are plenty of videos of people thinking that hey there's nothing going on and then they Wet. just 
<laughs> starts nope. sliding down the driveway. And uh, yeah, I mean, so those are the precip types. That's how they happen. You know, that's why it can be still in the 20s and you see rain, but it's causing a lot of issues. And I know our uh, clients out there do not like the freezing rain because there's not much you can do other than keep salting and salting and salting. So they're running through their product and running through their uh, supplies quickly. And, um, you know, it's just not super cost effective. Right. All you can do then is, like you said, salt and then hope the temperature gets above freezing. In, yeah. And, you know, in a couple of hours. But, yeah, there's times when, you know, you get an extended freezing rain event and, you know, you get, you know, five, six, seven hours of freezing rain. Right. Before you know, you got a quarter of an inch of ice on everything and that's not good. Well, this was great, Mike. I think yeah. this was a good uh, a good apropos topic here in the middle of winter. Yeah, I hope people really got a lot of information out of this because this is what you know uh, us as meteorologists are dealing with every time we're forecasting a storm. We're we're looking at the type of storm, the situation. Uh, we're looking at those you know tracks. We're we're trying to figure out if the mixing is going to occur. So, I really think this is useful that everybody understands how these storms are developing, where they're coming from, and why things get forecast the way they do. Yeah, well, we got the, uh, I think we got a Miller A on the way, so I'm going to go start forecasting, Mike. Oh, really? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're pretty good at this, Brad. Um, yeah, I thought you'd say a Miller B because that's your initials, right? Oh, yeah, Miller right? I didn't yeah, think B, about that. <laughs> B Miller, you know, something like that. But anyway, so that's our podcast for this week. Remember, we'll have a new one every two weeks, so come back to the Weather Lounge and see those or listen to those new episodes. Otherwise, check out Weatherworks on social media. You can find us everywhere uh, out there. Don't forget uh, YouTube, too. Yes, also. We have our own YouTube channel. Sure, 100%. And weatherworksinc.com, as always. And Mike's giving me the wrap-it-up sign. So, hey, we'll see you later.